0: Hey Vandal Sports fans, welcome to the Tubs at the Club podcast, serving the tribe from the north, brave and bold, with all things University of Idaho Vandals football. This fall and this summer, we're going to be your go-to spot, the number one podcast of all the podcasts covering your Idaho Vandals football team. Today, episode one, we're going to be covering kind of where we're at since the season ended last year. So Everything from when we hit our last game all the way up to where we're at starting summer workouts, including the silver and gold game. We're going to cover some of our more notable recruits, and then we got a little treat for everybody at the end. We should be proud of the 20-plus years we spent at the top flight of Division One football, the FBS level. We had a lot of good games, a lot of good players, so we're going to be going through a little bit of a top 10 list of sorts of the top 10 players of our time at the FBS level as well as the top 10 games um, at the FBS level. This list was compiled by me, um, asking some Vandal fans what what their opinions were and some of the players and games they remembered the most. If you have any opinions on the matter, we'd love to hear from you. Tweet us at Tubbs at the club on Twitter, or you can always ask us any questions with hashtag AskTATC. That is hashtag AskTATC or add us at Tubbs at the club on twitter so without further ado let's not waste any more time and let's cover exactly where we're at in the most interesting thing going on in vandal football right now the quarterback battle so most of you hopefully are aware that one of the all-time vandal greats matt linehan has moved on from the program he graduated that leaves us without a starting quarterback and it looks to most people to be a three-headed race and the silver and gold game did everything to kind of Put that forward. So last year, when Matt went down, there was two obvious um, candidates that were playing. One was Paul's son, Mason Petrino, the junior, who came in for a couple games there late in the year. Had some problems with his accuracy and really getting the offense moving um, and really just getting us past the fifty-yard line, which led to an interesting decision by Coach Petrino. He obviously needed to shoot for the win, and he had an option. We had two guys that were red-shirting and Dylan Limley and. Colton Richardson out of Lewiston, and he decided to pull the red shirt on Colton, which my opinion at the time was Mason was not getting it done. We had to burn the red shirt on one of them, and you had to burn the red shirt on the one you felt least likely to be your quarterback of the future, uh, explaining that logic being we were already out of the bowl situation by the time he decided to pull the red shirt, but you really need to get some wins and build some confidence and help solidify up the recruiting at the end of the year. So we had to win some games. So you burn the red shirt on the guy who you look to now only be able to play three years in the one or two games compared to somebody who can play four years for you and really hopefully cement the legacy and get us a couple national championships or at least big sky championships under our belt. Coach decided thinking that guy would be Colton Richardson leaving Dylan Lemley to sit on the bench, use the rest of his red shirt leaving him to be a redshirt freshman this year, and Colton Richardson a true sophomore. Silver and gold game kind of shows these statistics as Mason and Colton seem to get the majority of the snaps. Uh, I was not there in person. Most of this is from the statistics I've read, some of the highlight videos, and some articles I've read on the situation. So disclaimer there. But Mason Petrino actually ended up going 22 for 28, 208 yards and two touchdowns. He had the most passing attempts out of the three Um, main candidates in this race, which 22 of 28, most people would not have seen coming as Mason seemed to struggle on his accuracy without being there. I'm not sure if a lot of them were short little screen passes or if he was actually pushing the ball down the field. As it seems like Mason might have a little bit of a, as lack of arm strength to say it politely um, compared to the other two candidates. But if he can hit 22 of 28, makes me feel a little bit better about the position of him possibly in the starting quarterback. As if you put it on the numbers, we have enough skill players that are going to be able to pick up some yards as long as we can hit it on their hands. No matter who you're rooting for in this race, the good news is all three quarterbacks threw no interceptions. Not a single interception was thrown, which is good for us because, you know, you've got to protect that football. Colton Richardson had some pretty good numbers of his own, going 13 for 22, 256 yards, and one touchdown. So with six less passing attempts, and nine less completions. He ended up throwing for just about 50 yards more than Mason um, with one less score. Very impressive numbers. Colton looks to still have the cannon that he showed off a lot last year. It needs to thin down a bit, it still looks like, but hey, as long as he can throw the ball the way he's throwing it, the guy can look however he wants, right? We just want wins. I'm not necessarily worried about having a pretty boy quarterback. I just want a guy who can get the ball downfield, put it in our wide receiver's hands, and score some touchdowns. And then the third option here is Dylan Lemley, who completed eight of his 14 throws. We've seen less of him than the other two guys, but he's a redshirt freshman, which means we have the ability to use him for four years. He ends up winning the starting job, which is something really to look at. But obviously with him getting a little bit less snaps, now I don't know, he's also known as more of a scrambler. So it could be that he took the exact amount of snaps, but just threw the ball less, whether the pocket broke down or their designed runs. I'm not entirely sure. But he only threw the ball for 14 times, did complete eight of those throws for 120 yards and also got a touchdown. The most impressive thing was uh, against the number one defense, he actually hit a wide receiver over the middle and the wide receiver dropped it right on the hands. And then the next play without being upset at all, he went right back to Brandon Luckett threw a nice little first down pass, didn't even seem to phase him. And that mental fortitude is kind of, I don't know, I... My instincts going into this is I really want to see Lemley push. I don't know if he'll be able to win the starting job, but I think he is a good mix of the two that I think he's got a real shot. But either way, he's gonna make the other two better. I'm just excited he's gonna get more snaps now that he's actually an eligible player for us. And then we'll see what happens. We still got summer workouts and you know fall camp to see this quarterback competition really heat up. And we've got two other guys that'll be thrown in the mix here. One is the Borch kid out of the Tri-Cities who gray-shirted last year. He'll be in the mix come uh, fall, whether he decides to play quarterback or not. It's not really been said if that's where Paul Petrino plans on playing him. But then we also recruited a kid out of Mercer Island, Washington this year who looks like he's got a real shot of being a true freshman starter. But once again, we'll have to wait and see. Once he's been on campus a little bit longer and gotten the playbook under his hands. Now, the running backs might be the thing I'm most excited about, even though we, you know, we lost some guys that put a lot of numbers up for us. But we're, we're used to that. Whether it be losing James Baker or Isaiah Saunders, it looks like we're in the exact same position we were with them, where we've got guys already in the stable, ready to take on the exact same role of just that big kind of punishing back who's not afraid to run you over. Even Duckworth, who was a little small, I mean he he could run still runs people over and then. Um, I I see that coming this year as our running backs put up very respectable numbers in the silver and gold game. Um, You had Rashawn Johnson, who ran for 124 yards on 33 carries and three touchdowns. That is a workhorse back. That is what we need. That's what Paul Petrino likes. And then it doesn't get any worse from there. Still going to have Isaiah Saunders, who came up last year and uh, totally just... Proved everybody how, how great he could be with a one-two punch with Duckworth. We also still have Pen this year. And then Redshirt Jr. from Spokane, Jack Bemis. Um, actually played great as well. 63 yards and a touchdown. So we look like we've got another just great stable of backs. And I, I see our running backs being exactly what they were before. And we might have the best unit of running backs in the Big Sky We'll have to wait and see. Obviously, we don't have great comparables, but the way they played against Sacramento State and two years ago against Montana State makes me think that we'll we'll do just fine um, in the running back department in the Big Sky and probably at the FCS level in general. Now, something that's not going to surprise anybody, Caden Ellis doing Caden Ellis things. The guy is an absolute workhorse, and I am so excited to have him for one more year as a Vandal. The senior is, you know, started as a true freshman, and he has just never looked back since being put on that field, and just as you would expect, he's doing all things at the spring game. They lined him up at his normal spot at linebacker, then they moved him a little bit of safety, then he played some tight end, some slot receiver, some wide receiver, and even a little bit of pistol running back. Even though I said we had no need for him at pistol running back, because, I mean, we've got a stable of backs, we've got four backs that can that can play, but... I love seeing Ellis all over the field, but I don't want him to play all over the field. It's great that we have an athlete like that that can play every position so competently, but we only have one of him. And let's let's use him where he's meant to be. Let's let's put him at linebacker where he thrives, and let's try to get that kid in the league. Um, and what he's done for this program is absolutely unspeakable. I'm so excited to see him play one more year. I hope you guys all are. But Caden Ellis just all over the field in the silver and gold game. A lot of fun to watch, a lot of fun to read about. Uh, I just can't wait to see him in the game atmosphere for one last time. But uh, let's cover kind of some of the recruits and some of the guys we'll be seeing this year and next year's silver and gold game that uh, people should be excited about. Science says FCS teams are supposed to have worse recruiting than FBS teams. However, I'm happy to tell you guys we are not one of those programs. We were ranked, according to 247sports.com, as the 132nd class in the nation which is good for second in the Big Sky, behind Montana State. And there's 130 teams in the FBS. Obviously, us being 132nd might make it seem like we're actually behind them, but there are multiple FCS teams actually ahead of FBS teams. According to my count, we're ahead of 17 FBS teams. Which, if we were still in the FBS, wouldn't it be great. But the fact that we are recruiting this entire class on the you know the pretense that we we're dropping to the FCS—that's a great win and that's what we're going to have to do to compete in the FCS is keep recruiting at an FBS level so if this class is anything to say I give it an A for our first FCS type class I think Petrina did a great job utilizing his southern connections with the local kind of atmosphere you're going to have to have in the Big Sky Conference to draw interest and kind of be able to fill some of those holes that you're not able to get by not being a FBS program and I think we did that really well starting with The athlete we assigned a three-star, our only three-star recruit, Marquez Albert out of New Orleans. Guy is just super fast, 64th best player in um, the state of Louisiana, which is a big high school football state. Then one of the other great players we got from down south that I'm excited about, and you guys know I love our running backs, is Andre Carter. Probably won't see him for a little bit, probably going to redshirt, but he's a 5'10", 228-pound back from Florida, I mean, he's the kind of guy that Paul Petrino loves, right? He's big back that's good for falling forward for three to four yards. That's what Paul loves. That's what win us games. So I'm really excited by Andre Carter. But like I said, we're we're pretty set at running back. I don't expect to see him for two to three years. Much like you'll see Jack Bamis this year. I think it's going to be a very similar role for Andre in the next two years. Then one of our other great things we've done, um, the last two classes, I believe we've gotten just studs from East Mississippi Community College, the star program of the first two seasons of Netflix's Last Chance U. We got another defensive end, 6'5", 241-pound Aaron Boatwright from Scuba. And uh, if he's anything like the, his predecessors, he's going to be an absolute stud on that defensive line for us. If he if they tore apart the Sun Belt, imagine what they're going to do to some of these kids in the Big Sky. I'm super excited with that signing. I think we're gonna it's going to do big things for us. Going to keep our defensive line incredibly tenacious. I think that's a huge signing for us. Um, but now let's kind of let's take a look at some of the local kids because I know that's what a lot of people that'll be listening to this are interested in. Plus, I mean that's kind of the point of the Big Sky now is you get a little bit more local kids because they just want to stay in the area and be able to play a little bit of Division One football. So starting with Connor Whitney, he's a 6'3", 200-pound safety out of West Valley in Spokane, Washington. Guy should be a stud, 44th best player in the state. Um, Washington, also known as a, a decent call or high school football state. So getting a 6'3", safety, that's great size. We'll see if they keep him at safety. I think he's got the size for it, but obviously put a little bit more on his frame. He could also probably move into a linebacker, kind of hybrid role. Um, so we'll see what they end up doing with him, but that's a good local signing there. And I'm considering local in all intents and purposes for being the surrounding states of, you know, Idaho. So Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, even like Wyoming, Utah, Nevada. So that's what I'm kind of considering local, not just Idaho and, you know, Eastern Washington. So just so we get no going forward. We also got, if you guys remember, maybe the best named Vandal of all time a couple of years ago. Warrior Knoll from Portland, Oregon. We were able to sign his brother, Michael Knoll, 5'10", 170-pound athlete. will probably play defense. I'm not the coaches. We'll see where they think he fits best. But uh, it's good to keep the family ties going now with the Ellis brothers. And then obviously now we have the Knoll brothers. I-, I love how we keep it family. Big thing for the Vandals. Petrino's talked about it before, so I think that's really cool. Then another local kid. We've got Logan Floyd out of Salt Lake City from Kearns High School. Offensive tackle, 6'4", 289 pounds. Then we've got Jackson Woodward, wide receiver, 6'1", 185 pounds from Seattle Prep in Seattle, Washington. I view him being something similar from watching his tape that Dion Watson was, just kind of that big guy who just seems to always come up with the big plays. I think Jackson could be a big signing for us. I just think maybe put a little bit more weight on that frame to make him a little bit harder to tackle. To round out the last little bit of non-Idaho players, we've got Logan Kendall, an inside linebacker, 6'3", 240 pounds from Cheney, Washington. So big signing for us, somebody that Eastern Washington was going after, so it's big that he chose Idaho over you know his hometown team. Getting a big, big 6'3", inside linebacker is huge for us, as obviously the linebacker play has been one of our more notable positions the last couple seasons. So we got a lot of linebackers signed in this class, and it should help us a ton going forward. And I think getting big guys like this and a lot of fast guys on the outside, we're going to keep up that linebacker play once Caden and everybody else has moved on. That's currently in our linebacking core. Then we got our two Idaho kids, which is huge for us. Being in the big sky now, we really got to focus on signing the local kids and get people interested. And we got the ninth and tenth best players in the state. We got Ross Chatterton, the inside linebacker, 6'1", 210 pounds, from Coeur High School in Coeur Idaho. we got Khalil Forehand, wide receiver, 5'9", 162 pounds, out of Boise, Idaho's Bishop Kelly High School, 10th best player in the state. If you want to know more, I encourage everybody to go sports 247sports.com, check it out for yourself, or go to allvandals.com, go to the FB Recruiting drop down, you should be able to find it from there by clicking on Commitments, but... It's a great class. I would say for our first FCS class, it's, it, it should be really, really good. And plus, we got some gray shirts and everything coming in. So, uh, great class. Super excited. Um, but the kid that, that I'm most excited for is, I'm going to murder his name, is Nikhil Nair. He's a pro-style quarterback. 6'4", 210 pounds from Mercer Island. If you watch his tape, he's pretty much the three quarterbacks we have right now mixed in the one guy. I really think he could come in and really challenge to be a true freshman starting quarterback. Now, whether it makes sense for us, whether they redshirt him to get these other guys on the field and really utilize him for, for five years uh, is up to the coaching staff, but I would encourage everybody. I think that's the guy out of this class, probably him and the Andre Carter. They're going to be the biggest standouts for us. And obviously Aaron Boatworth for the two years he's here from East Mississippi community college. But those would be the three names I would say to look out for from our Recruiting class that have a real great shot at at making some noise for us in the very near future and long term. Speaking of long term, what a way to transition to the next couple segments of this podcast. We're going to be covering the top ten players and then the top ten games from our twenty one years in the FBS. So once again, I got this list from talking to a couple of friends and a couple other vandals I know. Uh, people are probably going to have their own list, and I want to hear them. Make sure you tweet us what your list would be or why you think some of these players are too high or too low. But let's just start the list off right with our honorable mentions, and I'll kind of give brief little summaries on why they're honorable mentions, but I'll move past them rather quickly into the more meatier lineup of the top ten. So honorable mention one, Preston Davis. He was always that wide receiver that we felt lucky to get, always looked to have more potential than Idaho should have had at the time, but he never really seemed to totally utilize it. So that's why I have him as an honorable mention. I really think if he would have hit the potential we all saw in him, he could have been easily a top five player on this list. But he never really did. He made his share of big plays, including the two-point conversion in the humanitarian bowl, but just never enough to really make the top 10 for 21 years of history in the FBS level. The next honorable mention, Bobby Cowan. Obviously, families donated a lot of money to the university, having the basketball stadium named after them. But at the time, arguably the best kicker to ever kick at the University of Idaho. Still a shame that he did not get a fair shake in the NFL. But Bobby Cowan, memorable player. Uh, brother Trent played on the team afterwards. Just a a very noticeable player that I think a lot of Vandals will remember for a long time. And then the last one being Deandre Diamandre Woolridge. If you don't remember him, he was the big tubby back to help carry this team. To the 2009 Humanitarian Bowl, the only problem is he was a transfer out of Washington State. had some issues, so we only had him for a short time, which is why he's not higher on the list. Had he played his entire career at Idaho, he might be number one. Now into number 10, we've got Jason Bird. This is going to be for some of you older Vandal fans out there instead of some of you current students and younger people. Jason Byrd, big number 44, played for, um 2004 to 2007. He actually started when we were in the Sun Belt for the first time around um, and then played three more years in the WAC. Had he not had some injuries in the middle and end of his career, um, he probably would have been a lot higher on this list too. Big old corn-fed looking light boy, just ran people over. He was Peyton Hillis before Peyton Hillis was a thing. Um, so much fun to watch. One of my favorite first Vandals. If you've never seen him, look up some highlight tapes. He's got some good stuff when we played USC. Jason Bird, great Vandal. And that leads us into number nine, one of the more controversial picks I, I would imagine, which is Caden Ellis. Put a current player on this list, and it's kind of weird that we're doing it now because he could also move up, and if he has a bad year, could possibly even fall off this list. But I feel like the way Caden's played in his first three years definitely going to be no, memorable. And he's just electric. You like watching him. He plays with his hair on fire. He's always around the ball. He's making interceptions, scooping up fumbles, getting sacks. He is so fun to watch. He makes me excited to watch defense and less stressed to watch our defense. So, Caden Ellis came in at number nine. Then at number eight, we have Deontay Jackson. Now, for those of you that don't know, big signing for us. He's Steven Jackson, the great Ram running back's nephew, who was coached by Coach Dennis Erickson at Oregon State. So when Erickson came back for the 2006 season, he was able to recruit Deontay Jackson over. guy should have gone to some bigger schools. I'm not sure what happened, whether it was academics or some some just bad attitude that got him overlooked by some of the bigger schools. But we were definitely lucky to get him at the time when we weren't very good at football. And man, his freshman year still to this day was one of the most fun things to watch. Um, Someone in the silver and gold do... 2007, he ran for almost 1,200 yards. He came 25 yards short with seven touchdowns and 153 yards receiving. That's back before throwing to your running back was really popular. Ended his career with two receiving touchdowns. Only ended with 16 touchdowns and 2,700 yards rushing because after that freshman year, he started to deal with a little bit of injuries and kind of became a shell of himself. And it didn't help that we also just had a great stable of backs including DeMondre Woolridge, Princeton McCarty, and even um, Von Sturdivant there for a while. So he got a little bit lost in the stable of backs we had that were so dynamic in the three-headed horse that led us to a humanitarian bull win. But his freshman year was so unique and unlike anything Idaho had seen in a long, long time. So that's why he came in at number eight. At number seven, we're going to go with Austin Rico. He most well-known probably before we signed him for kicking the 67-yard field goal in high school. Luckily, Idaho was one of the only programs already talking to him as both kicker and punter. So he committed um, to us, even though more schools after the 67-yard field goal attempt went viral. He committed to Idaho and stayed with us the whole way out. We let him punt and kick. One of the best recruiting decisions we had ever made, giving him a scholarship instead of how most teams – make kickers walk on. Never won the Ray guy, but I believe was in the contest for best punter in the nation for all four years he's at school. Absolute stud. Still could be kicking in the NFL. Um, We'll see what happens with training camps rolling up, but Austin Rico. Now where things are going to get a little bit more iffy for some people and probably have a little bit more argument on where they all stand in their rankings, but not that they're ranked. At number six, I have Nathan Enderly. Quarterback this team from 2007 to 2010, four years, starter at the quarterback position. For how much flack he got during the time, there was a while there where people were like, I never realized how much I would miss Nathan Enderly. His junior season, he threw 22 touchdowns for nine interceptions, still one of the all-time greatest marks by a Vandal quarterback. He finished the year with 157.3 QBR. Not a local kid, no connections to the school, really got to submit his own legacy and that's why Nathan Enderley came in at six. He had his struggles for sure. People were always calling for Brian Reeder the, most of the years he was playing. Then we got a year with Brian Reeder, and people actually missed Enderley. But either way, Enderley, I think sixth best player we had during our time in the FBS, or at least most memorable, I guess is how I should say it. And then, number five, the other quarterback uh, of, of the decade, we got Matt Linehan, son of Scott Linehan, Vandal Great. Um, Same kind of story as Nathan, led us to a bowl game after a a bit of a hiatus from making bowl games, kind of took a not very good team and turned them great again, led the Vandals to one of their all-time highest win totals in the 2016 season, capping it with a potato bowl win, breaking most Vandal records, including a lot of his fathers, threw for 10,752 yards while pretty much missing a game almost every single year he played. Always seemed to be in there when we needed him, Um, except obviously that the poor 2017 year where you never want to see your senior starting quarterback not even get to take the field one last time, but only got to play nine games that year. But Matt Linehan, absolute Vandal legend, and I don't think most people would argue with that, of how he was a great voice in a dark time with the FCS cloud looming. Um, A lot of people rallied behind Matt Linehan. Then next, we've got the former walk-on from Auburn, Washington, Max Komar, who is got that Wes Welker-esque quality about him where he just became Mr. Reliable. Always seemed to be catching the ball, always just became a reliable target. The fact that he was a walk-on and just really started to grow every single year he was on the team into a better and better player, accumulating in a 2009 season where he had over 1,000 yards receiving and 11 touchdown passes one which is maybe arguably the most important touchdown the Vandals have ever had in the 2009 Humanitarian Bowl. But Max Komar, all-time great. It's great to see walk-ons. You don't see that very often anymore. Not only did he become a legendary player at the university, but he went on to have a decent you know, couple years run at, in the NFL for the Arizona Cardinals. So Max Komar coming in at number four. Then at number three, We've got Shiloh K.O. Just if you couldn't tell how much I love Caden Ellis, I compared Caden Ellis almost every step of the way to Shiloh K.O. Watching him as a freshman, Shiloh just came in and hair on fire, was always around the ball. He was the kind of guy where when you were on defense, you were daring the other team to throw it deep because you knew was K.O. was either, either going to come up with a huge hit, a pick, stripped the ball, or just something exciting. He was just electric to watch. You wanted to see him go around. It was so great to watch him just pretty much quarterback the defense. The pair of that team he was on, the late 2000s, was just, I mean, it was so much fun to watch him. Returning kicks tore up the whack. It was, it was so much fun to watch him. Um, and then that leads us to number two, arguably the greatest running back in Vandal history, Joel Thomas. Helped us win our first ever humanitarian bowl which was so huge for the university and the state as a whole. Um, so Joel Thomas solidifying definitely a well-deserved spot at number two. Now, number one, I bet you I could have asked 100 Vandals before this podcast who would be number one, and I bet you at least 99 would have guessed Mike Iupati. Big Mike, the highest draft pick still to this day in Vandal history. Um, has played in the NFL for a long time now. What is still regarded as one of the better, if not best, left guards in the league still to this day. It's been in the league for, whew, what, nine, eight years now? So, I mean, big, long veteran career. Made a couple of Pro Bowls. So, Mikey Apati definitely deserving of the number one spot. Most memorable Vandal of the time. Mikey Apati, well-deserved, most memorable player in our 21-year history in the FBS Um, And we saw so much great things in our time in the FBS. And we should be so proud of everything that we did accomplish during our time in the FBS. Here's a couple of the games that I think are the 10 best. And, well, a couple other people had some in. But the 10 best games, um, or most memorable games at least, that were played in our 21-year history in the FBS. Now, stick with me through the first three. I promise it gets better towards the end. We're going to start out with a loss from the 2007 game against USC. We ended up losing that one 38-10, but at the time, it was so unheard of for the University of Idaho Vandals to even be within a couple points of a game. So the fact that we were within 28 points, when you think nowadays we've lost to teams like 70-0 against Arizona a couple, like I guess that was about a decade ago, but still, we, we have some huge losses. So being 28 points down to one of the best teams in the country at the time was, was a big step. Not to mention it was on Fox Sports, which they're airing the first year where they ever had like super slow-mo. So you got to watch our 10th best or 10th most memorable player, Jason Bird, just running over some of the best defensive players in the country in slow-mo. And it was so great to watch. Um, really enjoyable. Yeah, I think a lot of it's on YouTube. So if you want to go look it up, 2007, University of Idaho versus USC. What a great game that was. Which then leads us into another body bag game, l our 2010 game against Link, or against Nebraska in Lincoln, Nebraska's Memorial Stadium. We only lost this one by 21 points. It was Nathan Enderley, who's from North Platte, uh, Nebraska's return home to Nebraska. And he didn't play as great as we all thought he was going to. I know some Nebraska fans actually thought we might have a chance in this game as they weren't viewed as necessarily very good. But we only lost this game by 21 points. It was 38-17. A uh, huge game for the Vandals. We played awful but still hung in it, which nowadays just doesn't happen. We have to play great to stay in it. So the fact that we did, played the way we did with the story we did with Nathan, um, it, it was a fun game to watch and memorable to watch and a great fan base to share it with in the Nebraska Cornhusker fans. At number eight, we have the 2006 game against the Michigan State Spartans coached by former Vandal John L. Smith who after this game actually was put on the hot seat. That's how close this game was. Only ended up losing 27-17, to 17, but this team was not considered good. We had a very hiccup year in 2006 where we actually possibly could have qualified for a bowl game. We played well enough, just maybe missed a couple games where we shouldn't have um, with Erickson as the coach. I mean, this was a seven-point game until the last 30 seconds of the game. So as far as I said, Vandal's standards being only seven points down to a Big Ten power against a former Vandal coach was super memorable for me, and I think it deserves a spot as at number eight on this list, which then takes us to number seven and the first victory on this list, uh, the 1996 game on the blue in Boise. Uh, we ended up winning this game 64-19. to 19. Why this game's memorable? Well, it was the first season in the FBS we blew out our rivals. It's our last blowout against the Broncos, and it happened on the blue turf. So this is the last time it, it looked like this wasn't even a competition. The Vandals were so much better than Boise State. We all know how that turned out. But in 1996, that was a, still a, a memorable game. First game is both teams being Division One FBS, and we blew them out 64-19, which is something I think a lot of us would give a lot of things up for to see again. So big win there coming in at number seven. The number six, other than the 2010 game against Boise State, the 2009 game against Colorado State was the last time I can remember the Kibbe Dome being completely sold out, hard to find a ticket. It was an absolute electric atmosphere, and this is against a team that's not considered a rival. But it was a sold-out game. We were considered, a, this was going to be our, our, our measuring stick. We were coming into the game, I believe, 3 and one after a rather close game against UW a couple weeks prior, um, we had beaten New Mexico State and a couple other teams, and this was, are we going to be good enough to go to a bowl and possibly win a bowl this year? And it was nationally televised. It got picked up by ESPNU. It immediately followed a broadcast and a great game against Old Miss and Vanderbilt. So not only was it nationally televised, but it followed up a game that a lot of SEC people were watching. So we had a lot of eyes on the game as well not including an amazing comeback, Shiloh Kale recovering an onside kick at the end to seal it, the storming of the field, the electric atmosphere all throughout, blacked out. I think it was the first game where they had those little thunder sticks. It was absolutely electric to watch and be a part of. I was at the game. There were so many people. It was so electric. I have the game on tape. I still watch it. I still get electric when I watch it. 2009 against Colorado State is one of the best games we played in the FBS and to see it in the dome was just so, so great. But now we're to our top five. And at number five comes 1999, a home game at Martin Stadium against the Washington State Cougars. We were doing renovations to the Kibbe Dome. We couldn't play in it. We had to be FBS quality stadium. Um, so we were playing a home game against the team that plays there in Washington State. And we ended up winning this game, which was fantastic. It was our first win. In our last 14 attempts, and the first time we had won since we beat the Cougars in 1965. And an interesting fact to this game, and one of the cooler aspects of the game, is both starting quarterbacks went down in this game. Washington State's backup quarterback, you may have heard of, that came in was Jason Gesser. This was Jason Gesser's first real test against Division one talent, and the Idaho Vandals were able to beat him. And this is a quarterback that went on to take the Cougars to a Rose Bowl and, you know, challenge the Pac-10 consistently for a couple of years there and we were able to beat him in his first game I really made him look kind of bad honestly if you watch the game and it was a very memorable game because like I said first time we had beat them in a long time it was against Jason Gesser who went down to be if you ask the Cougars one of their greatest players in their last you know 21 years so big win you know definitely qualifies as a top five spot for the Vandals. At number four, this is where things will probably change by who you talk to because I got a lot of different answers on everybody I talk to, but it is the 2016 Potato Bowl. I know a lot of people probably expected to be higher, but I promise the top three are just as you know competitive as this one against, once again, Colorado State. They were favored to beat us. It was on the blue. It was the first bowl game in a while. They had the whole Vandal State FBS vibe. It was freezing cold. It seemed like we could score every single time we touched the ball. Jordan Freisinger made it on SportsCenter's top 10 for that one-handed catch. The slipping of the kickers. I mean, it was a, definitely a memorable game, whether it was one of our best games or not. I mean, we won a bowl game. We stormed the field on the blue. Everybody was so electric because we wanted to show that we did, belonged at the FBS level. So definitely a top-five game. So fun. So Even though it was so cold, after, after halftime, I was just so warm. I just remember not being cold. Because I felt like every 45 seconds I was jumping up and down for an interception or a touchdown or a big play. So even though that game was like negative something degrees, so much fun and definitely deserving of the top four spot. Now number three, with a 1998 game on the blue again against Boise State. This is a memorable game because we didn't know it at the time, but it's our last win against Boise State. And it might be our last win against them for the foreseeable future as there's a lot of animosity there. So who knows when we'll have another shot at it. But not only is it important because it was our last win against Boise State and it was on the blue, but it also gave us our one and only conference championship. When we beat the Broncos in 1998, it clinched the Big West championship for us. There are teams to this day who have played in the FBS since its founding that have not even sniffed at the chance of a conference championship. And the lowly Vandals, as people would say, were able to capture that that prize. We were able to win a conference championship at the FBS level, and that's something we should be incredibly proud of and not forget that it came against our rivals and was a pretty memorable game, just alone on its own, gave us a conference championship, and the bowl bid to our second-best game, the 1998 Humanitarian Bowl. Because we won that conference championship, we get to our number two game, where we played in our first bowl game ever, the first bowl game in the state of Idaho ever, and the first humanitarian bowl game ever. Despite all those, we were heavily the most underdogged we had been in any of our bowl games to Southern Miss. We came in, we had a two-point conversion with Joel Thomas, absolute memorable game. It was so big for the, for the university, for the state, and for everything um, to win that first bowl game. And you know, we thought it was one of many to come. But uh, as we know, we, all, we finished 3-0 in our three bowl games, and not a lot of schools can say that. So the fact that we we went to three and we won all three is big on its own. But getting that first one was so, so great and qualified for the second-best game on this list. Now, with that said, most of you can probably put two and two together on who the number one game is, and that is going to be the 2009 Humanitarian Bowl. And like I said, if you have a problem with that, tweet us, at Tubs at the club. Because this one definitely was picked mostly by me, because it's the game that solidified me wanting to go to the University of Idaho and actually accepting my admissions letter. After this game, it was after eleven year bowl drought. Uh, the team had been bad in those eleven years too. It's not like we were just five and you know seven. It was we were one and ten, one and eleven. It, we were bad. So eleven years after the drought, you had the Rob Aiky telling Heather Cox at halftime, "Stay tuned for the second half. You're gonna love it." It it was absolutely an, an amazing game. It was a shootout against Bowling Green. Um, Freddie Barnes just shredded us, including scoring a go-ahead touchdown with like 30 or 40 seconds left. Nathan Enderley was able to get the ball, throw a lob pass down with pass interference to Preston Davis. Then we were able to throw the ball to Max Komar for a touchdown after he had an awful game. I think he only had one catch or no catches going into that game after being considered one of the best players on the field. And he even had the touchdown was controversial, but they weren't able to overturn it. Then Aiky just nonchalantly held up two, like we're going for the win. We don't want to go to overtime. Ran the ran the, I think it was Bajorvic, the tight end in motion. Then Bullen Green called that timeout. Aiky unfazed, didn't even hint at well, let's take the field goal. Ran the exact same play, motioned the same way. Then was able to find Preston Davis in the back of the end zone for the two point conversion, and he just sent it home. Just stood there like, yeah, we just put this one away. Fans loved it. Uh, fans stormed the field after the game. It was just so elating. It was the during the year where Aiky had the team eating out of bowls to get in the set of playing in a bowl. He refused, even though we were the home team, to use Boise State's home locker room. Didn't want to come out of the home tunnel. It was just, There was so much greatness from this game. And still, in my opinion, it's the best game we played, the most memorable game we played in our 20-plus years. In the FBS. But I want to hear from you guys because that's all we have today. Who are your top 10 players, your top 10 games? Make sure you tweet us at Tubbs at the club on Twitter or however else you would like to get a hold of us. Now on to some podcast-centric things. Still looking for a co-host. Have a couple people who have expressed some interest. So if you're interested, tweet us at Tubbs at the club or direct message us or direct message me on Twitter at Chris underscore P underscore Hammond or Smejims, which is S-M-E-E-J-I-M-S, or however you want to get a hold of us. Um, Get a hold of someone, and we'll run a little conversation with you. You don't need to be the most knowledgeable, just someone that's easy to talk to, excited about Vandal Athletics. But, yeah, if you want to get more involved in the podcast, hit us up looking for our co-host here so it's not just me talking to you guys. But anyways, thanks for putting your earphones in, letting me take 30 to 40 minutes of your time today to talk a little bit of Vandal football. I hope you guys are excited for the season because I am. Yeah, I can't wait to talk to you guys in two weeks when we have our FCS preview show. I'm currently working on getting some FCS experts on the show from the FBS or FCS Fans Nation page. So hopefully we'll have some guests here in two weeks. But that's all I got for you guys today. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you guys in two weeks for the FCS... Preview, so make sure you go get those 32 ounces of freedom if you're of age and uh, go vandals.